You're listening to The Pastor's Cut, a podcast from Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's material that influences, shapes, and informs, but gets cut from the final preach. That's why we started The Pastor's Cut, to give you a chance to go behind the scenes and access the content that informs the teaching at Park each week. If you're wanting to grow in your understanding of and fascination with the Bible, you've come to the right place. This is The Pastor's Cut. And we're your hosts, Sharon Brandis and Emily Suker. Hey, everyone. We have another exciting episode of The Pastor's Cut for you this week. My normal co-host, Trevor, is in the guest seat, and I have the privilege of having my co-host this week be one of my good friends here on staff, Emily Suker. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Two girl co-hosts with yeah. Trevor. Hey, Trevor. Hey, hey. It is What's good to up? be interesting to be on this side of the table, but good to be with you all. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. the one that's prepared, mm-hmm. right? Emily and I ask these questions <laughs> off the cuff, and you have all the stuff. So we'll see. The pressure's off, off of you today. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm just happy to have a seat at the table. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you're on the other side of the table. <laughs> Well, both of us know you really well, but for our listeners that don't know you, other than uh, all of your great Mm -hmm. input as a co-host, who is Trevor? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, um, we, my wife and I, Megan, we came to Chicago about six years ago. We're from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan originally, both both Upers from the UP. Upers! Yes, and we were... (laughs) 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 Yeah, and we, uh, we had gotten married there, and around that time just got some encouragement from some of the pastors of the church we were going to to look into going to school for ministry to kind of pursue pastoral ministry. And so we looked around, found about Moody, learned about that, applied, got in. A couple weeks later, found out we were uh, having our having our daughter as well. Oh. And so that was exciting. So came down to Chicago. I went to Moody, found a park along the way, and uh, you know, through finished the five-year program about a year ago. And uh, we had another one, so we had our two kids along the way, Lydia and Winston, and they are, they are a joy. And uh, yeah, and then the, the engagement through Park was just kind of, um, you know, serving, and then into a small group, and then that led to an internship into the residency, uh, and then right about the time graduation was happening, a spot opened up on Saturday night, which was um, perfect timing, all in the Lord's timing. So been here about a year now in that role. Love the Saturday night community. Thank you. They got a shout out in the first episode. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's appropriate for them to get another one. Yes. Yeah. And your two kiddos. They're so cute. And yeah. I live in the building in Chicago that Trevor yes, first lived that's in. That's right. When you just had Lydia. So it's like double neighbors. I know. We are double neighbors. <laughs> yeah. So, Trevor, can you give us just a quick recap of uh, what was preached this weekend? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, kind of a big idea was that God dwells with His people and in His people, um, and uh, sort of an opening illustration to get at the idea and was that it's possible to be in the presence of someone who, who with incredible significance and power and just completely miss it, to completely miss that we're in the presence of someone like that. And uh, the point is that as followers of Christ, we actually have the tendency to do that quite a bit. Uh, because the Spirit of God actually lives inside of us, is dwelling inside of us at all times. Um, but sometimes we can go about our lives uh, almost like we're forgetting that, we're not realizing that. 
Um, and so we'll, the result of that is we never actually end up inviting him into, you know, our places of brokenness. We never invite him in to bring healing the, or the places where we've experienced um, hard things, where we've experienced difficulty and suffering. You know, the one who can bring grace to places of shame, the one who can bring confidence to places of fear, the one who can bring trust to places of worry. We, we go through our lives experiencing all these things, forgetting that the one who can help us is actually here the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That illustration when when the sermon started yesterday, and they said, "Has anyone famous ever lived with you?" And I was like thinking, "What? Who would ever? <laughs> who famous would live with anyone in the audience here?" I didn't yeah. even think that mm. the sermon illustration was going to God. I was just thinking, "This is gonna be a really good story." <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, what ended up getting cut from the final preach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So, the first thing is just kind of this. Um, this theme that you can trace throughout all of the Bible and uh, the tabernacle uh, ends up just kind of being one stop along the way. And so the tabernacle, when you look into uh, kind of the details of it, all the different pieces, they're all pointing to Jesus in one way or another, but they're also a throwback to the Garden of Eden. And uh, what you see in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2, is that it was this place where humanity, Adam and Eve, dwelled in in perfect relationship with God. There was no brokenness, there was no separation between them. But then in Genesis 3, the fall takes place and uh, they have to leave the garden and there's separation between humanity and God ever since then. And uh, the tabernacle is kind of the, the first step along the way to bring back that uh, that restoration to that relationship, to bring God back into the presence of of His people. And um, what's interesting is that it's, you know, God is going to dwell in this tabernacle, this, this giant tent among his people, but there's still a degree of separation. It's not the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but the tabernacle is just kind of one stop along the way. Um, and so if you keep tracing that theme throughout the Bible, you eventually you see that the, the temple is built instead, you know, kind of a more permanent tabernacle. Uh, and it gets destroyed and rebuilt a couple more times by the time you get to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, in the New Testament, especially after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit uh, to, to the believers in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and uh, the church um, comes in and people are, are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this, this um, kind of period of redemption history between the, uh, you know, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and before when he comes back, the, the presence of God dwells in us. Um, and so that's kind of the next stop along the way is the church. But it's actually not the end. That's not the final stop. Uh, thankfully, because we, we have something to look forward to uh, that we see in Revelation 21, which is the new Jerusalem the, uh, within the new heavens and the new earth, where that degree of separation will finally be removed and it'll, it'll be uh, restored, kind of like the Garden of Eden, but in some ways even, even better. Yeah. When I was in Israel two years ago now, um, there's very little of the temple left. There's mm-hmm. a the Western wall that is basically underground and there's still a little bit of it left. And Mm -hmm. um, for those of us that are in Christ, we go to see it. It's kind of cool to look at, but it doesn't really have significance to us because the spirit dwells within us and we have that. We have access to the presence of God that way. Yeah. But those of Jewish background, they, they still um, are in reverence of it as if it's God and his presence. Mm-hmm. And they were there and they're weeping at the wall. They're putting notes in the wall. They're praying at the wall. They're, I mean, mm-hmm. worshiping God, but in the presence of an actual wall in this temple that used to be. And yeah. um, 
makes me just think of our freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing it back always to set free to live free in Exodus (laughs) of our freedom to worship God anywhere because he's not, he's not a building. He's not a piece of concrete block, right? We have the spirit within us and we can communicate with God through Mm -hmm. Jesus. So yeah, even makes me think of uh, John chapter four, the the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. She asks the question, "Where where should God be worshipped?" And uh, he comes back with the answer: that, like true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So not not so much about a specific location because of that freedom that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, it's easier for us to I don't know forget about the um, how amazing it is and like God's graciousness that we are able to worship him literally wherever and um it's cool because you know we're we're given the tabernacle and that is the place where god dwells which is amazing in itself but you also kind of have that tension of of um only one person is allowed to actually be in the holy of holies and Mm -hmm. and there is still this degree of separation um between god and his people and so it there is kind of always this tension of like man like we are so sinful that we cannot even approach God. And just, it, I feel like reading it over this weekend, it just really made it, um, it, I just realized a lot more just the weight of our sin and, and even more so the graciousness of God and sending his son for us so that, you know, the, the veil was torn. Mm. And um, yeah. there is like serious, serious weight that I think nowadays, because we're able to worship God wherever we don't, we don't take time to kind of sit and think about the fact that like we're able to approach God and Mm -hmm. we don't have this massive degree of separation because of Jesus. Mm And Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we think about that enough sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point of because it's always available to us. We take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, like that's what it comes down to is we don't sit in reverence of that, right. Of this Mm -hmm. freedom of this, ability to worship him and live our lives for him so what else you got for us yeah yeah so the second thing um is kind of a gospel connection that you see in the passage um especially with with the ark of the covenant in particular and even the way that the instructions come about is interesting because the ark of the covenant is just a a box really a small box it's kind of in the innermost part of the tabernacle uh, and yet it's the first thing that's described, which is odd. You don't, you don't start like designing the blueprints for a house with a closet or with a, with a, <laughs> I do. a box or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's how it comes about here. Um, and so it's kind of placing prominence and importance on the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, what you see is that the cover is actually called the mercy seat. And it's this golden plate that, that covered the top of the box. And the idea behind it was that it was the, the footstool of God, that God would sit upon his throne in heaven, symbolically speaking, and his feet would rest upon uh, the mercy seat, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And what, what's uh, fascinating about it is the holiness that, that the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant actually held um, in that... You know, it was in the, the innermost part of the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And so the high, the high priest went in once a year on the Day of Atonement. Apart from that, no one ever went in there. And even when they were traveling and kind of taking down the tabernacle and putting it back up, they would wrap up the Ark of the Covenant. And so, and they would carry it with poles. And so no one ever actually touched it. They, they would carry the poles when they had to move it and it was covered up so no one could ever see it. And so 
throughout the history of Israel, there were only ever a handful of people in any generation who had ever actually seen it, and nobody had, had touched it. Hmm. It was that holy. Um, and you kind of you see a little bit of a connection with this in the New Testament when you come specifically to the Gospel of John. In the first chapter, John the Baptist is baptizing people, and some of the, some of the people come to him and they say, "Why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing people? Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah?" And he says, "No, I'm not. But there's one among you who's going to come after me, uh, and and with him, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal, uh, not even worthy to touch the thing that his feet rest upon." And you can kind of see a connection there between mm-hmm. Jesus and, and John the Baptist not even being worthy to touch the thing that his foot touched, mm-hmm. and the Ark of the Covenant being God being so holy that, that no one could ever even touch it. Um, and you see that develop even a little bit more in John chapter 13, when Jesus, right, the one whose feet are so holy, you can't even touch the, the thing, not even worthy to, he kneels down and washes the, the dirty and the disgusting feet of his disciples. And it ends up being this really beautiful picture of the gospel, that, that the one who is so holy, he, he's willing to kneel down and wash all of the, the uncleanness and the unholiness off of us so we can be brought back into relationship with God. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear God instructing them to build this um, box, this tabernacle, mm-hmm. and they're not to touch it, but the people that are building it are obviously touching it. And it makes me think of like this imagery that throughout the Bible, there are things that are, that are God. Mm-hmm. They are the presence of God. They are God inspired, yet it requires humankind to help, mm-hmm. right? To bring God to mm-hmm. fulfillment. Like God could have had that box just drop out of thin air and it would be mm-hmm. there and it would be like, oh my God, that's God. That's mm-hmm. the presence of God. Don't touch it. But it was mm-hmm. human hands actually had to build it similar to like the word of God, right? It's God's mm-hmm. words, but humankind had to write it down and yeah. uh, reveal it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. through people. Um, and just like how integral, I'm really off the cuff just thinking this, but like how yeah. integral um, we are as the church, us people as mm-hmm. the church in um, helping to real, reveal God to others, right? Like, yeah. yes, God can do anything, but if we live and act like Christ, if we're the, mm-hmm. um, the presence of God through the Spirit in us, like, it's up to us mm-hmm. to bring it all to fruition here on earth and show Christ to others. Yeah, I think you do see that throughout the Bible, that God consistently chooses to, to use and to work mm-hmm. through people and to work with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's our privilege to join him in, in what he's doing now in this present age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so interesting. I, a couple of weeks back, like when you kind of talked about the shadow versus substance, and when I think mm-hmm. Rafe was here. And, yeah. Um, so I go to South Loop. Shout out mm-hmm. to South Loop first. <laughs> um, Only one shout out per episode. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but he he kind of talked about um, the wood that the box was made out of, and it's acacia wood. And the acacia tree, um, I guess, like when you break it apart, it has a substance that has healing oh. properties to mm. it. And um, so it just is cool that even like the box that this is made out of, like has like healing in it, and just the the way that that points to to Jesus and like how he is our, our healer and mm-hmm. um, just that concept of shadow versus substance where we see it here too, where it's like even the, the tabernacle 
is just the shadow of, of the, the great substance that we have in Jesus and mm-hmm. just the way that it all points to him um, is just so cool and so interesting. And I feel like we tend to like skip past it. We're like, oh, yeah, all these details are cool and they're great, but we mm-hmm. kind of breeze through them because it seems kind of boring. But um, I think mm-hmm. there's there's so much value in, in seeing how it really does point to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always skip yeah. through that part. I mean, I read it quickly. <laughs> There's linens and goat's skin yeah. and stuff. I'm like, okay, great. But I'm sure back then there was like so much meaning to it, right? Yeah. But to us, we're like, I don't know. Is that like a sketcher or like a Louboutin <laughs> shoe that they had to wear? Sketcher. Yeah. <laughs> Sketchers. <laughs> Trevor. That's a, that's a good question. Excellent question. <laughs> What kind of designers are we talking about? Yeah. Uh, did you cut anything else? Yeah, yeah, just uh, one last thing. And uh, it has to do with, um, throughout the book of Exodus, it's mostly narrative until you get up to this point, And then you get all these instructions that are significant, but they can feel tedious if you don't, if you don't know exactly what's going on. And uh, they're given in chapters 25 through 30, and then there's a little bit more narrative. And then they're basically kind of repeated uh, towards the latter part of the book. And it kind of raises this question, why, why is part of the law in here? And then you get a little more story, and then it's kind of repeated again. And, and, but it's not all of the law. Like Leviticus contains way more, and Numbers has some. And so, why not just keep Exodus, like all story, and then keep Leviticus with the law? Mm. Kind of like, why is it written in this way? Why does it kind mm-hmm. of feel a little bit awkward uh, in, in terms of its structure? And when you dig into it, what we actually see is that um, it structurally it, it makes sense and it's kind of making a point and really raising a question at the end of the book that he's, you know, the Israelites receive the instructions for the tabernacle here and Moses is up on Mount Sinai in the story, literally receiving these instructions uh, and you see that that the Israelites are down at the bottom of the, the mountain and what they're doing while he's receiving these instructions after the, the covenant has just been confirmed, God's brought them into this relationship, they're actually starting to break the Ten Commandments and they're starting to break the covenant because they, they make this golden calf and, and they're worshiping it. And then um, God stops, he pauses in the middle of giving the instructions and sends Moses back down because of what's happening. And so then the, the question initially is, what does this mean for the people of Israel? They've broken the covenant. Is God, you know, he's delivered them, he's brought them into this relationship and they've messed it up already. Is he going to still dwell with them? Is he still going to be their God? Are they still going to be his people? And ultimately what you end up seeing is, um, you know, God is merciful and he continues to dwell with them and him and Moses kind of go back and forth a little bit. And, uh, and there's that passage in Exodus 34 Uh, verses six and seven where God proclaims uh, basically his name, uh, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious and and talking about the type of God that he is, who he is and what he is like. And it's because of his character that he continues to dwell with them, even though like they're, they're messing up the covenant, they're they're breaking it. Uh, And what you see after that is they fulfill this and they, they build the tabernacle. And so it's kind of, it's bringing resolution to that question of, of is he going to still dwell with them? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, because they, they build the tabernacle they f- and they kind of follow these instructions to a T. And the book closes with the presence of God descending on the tabernacle, the tent, and uh, the glory of God filling up the tent. And But you still see that degree of separation comes up again right at the end of the book because mm-hmm. Moses tries to go into the tent and he's unable to because the glory of God is in there. And so the, the book actually doesn't end with a neat resolution. It kind of raises this question at the end 
God is very clearly holy. You see that through his laws. Mm -hmm. You see that through the, the tabernacle and all these instructions. Uh, and the Israelites are not. They're, they're not a perfect people. They, they mess up and, and they're sinful just like the rest of us. And so, how is a holy God going to dwell in the midst of a sinful people? How is this relationship going to work? And that's the question that the book ends with, and it leads naturally right into the book of, Levit of Leviticus, which mm -hmm. sets up the sacrificial system, which answers that question, at least initially. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, it points to Jesus and, and his sacrifice, which brings about that restoration of relationship. Mm -hmm. So, that didn't fit. <laughs> but I think it's important because it gives, I think, a more holistic view of kind of the, the greater narrative of mm -hmm. the Bible in general, of just kind of this constant, like, our rebellion and God mm -hmm. always holding up his end of the bargain and, and yeah. never letting us... Um, drift too far, I guess, and always kind of bringing us back in his graciousness and kindness. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it is cool to see it so laid out in, in a way that's easier for us to understand of like, yeah, this is the same thing that's been happening. God mm -hmm. redeeming, rescuing, bringing his people back and, and ultimately, you know, leading mm -hmm. up to Jesus, which is awesome. Yeah. I think of just like, as God as he is giving these uh, commandments and laws to Moses on the mountain and the people down at the base of the mountain are like rebelling and sinning mm -hmm. and breaking the commandments of being like, like a dad just like <laughs> shaking his fist, like, oh my God, what are you doing? Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I just came into covenant with, or I just promised this covenant with you guys and yeah. you're already breaking the rules. But like Emily's saying, like he's a gracious father that's like, Y'all are going to keep mm -hmm. messing up and mm -hmm. I'm still going to love you. So cool. Well, mm -hmm. thanks Trevor. And thanks Emily for being my guest co-host yeah, today. Thanks for having me. And thanks mm -hmm. for coming Trevor. Yes. <laughs> Even though you're here yep. every week. <laughs> Glad cool, to be here. Cool to have you in the guest seat. So yeah, thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, this week. Be sure to join us next week as our Bridgeport pastor, Kenson Lamb, joins us. If you're a longtime park goer, you've heard him preach a lot, so be sure to tune in and hear from him again. We will see you guys next week.